What did you think of the jingle? I like the jingle. It's uh, yeah. I won't. I won't really change it. You don't fancy doing your own rendition? No, I don't think I could. could, could not, hear, not in that that speed. Could we hear a bit of it? He's have to give me the lines again. But uh, now come along and listen to us talk with the Bond Jam. Come and listen to us talk with the Bond Jam. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can do so far. Now come along and listen to us talk with the Bon Jam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bon Jam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bon Jam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bon Jam. Hello and welcome to Bon Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the balls cue to my bolus 007. It's Mr. James Turner. Hello, Simon. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> uh, does that suggest a topic? by that introduction. Yeah, well, today we're going to be discussing worst James Bond gadgets, and the fact that you mentioned that <laughs> uh, totally was not on my list of things to mention. I was so going to say, oh, I ruined one. one of yours off your list. Uh, no, no, I completely forgot about that, so uh, so nice one for mentioning. Yeah, I think um, the Bond series is famous for its inclusion of various different types of gadget that have uh, helped James Bond along the way on his missions, a lot of them given to him by Q um, in his various incarnations, uh, and sometimes his villains have some of their own. Absolutely, yeah. What do you think makes a gadget a bad gadget? Bad gadget would be the ones that seem like they've been designed with one very, very specific purpose uh, that can only be used once perhaps yeah uh, and you won't be able to use ever again i grouped them into various different categories of bad yeah. gadget there are the unrealistic ones mm-hmm. which are just a little bit too far-fetched yeah to to really believe yeah um but some of them if we kind of just believe that they work they would be really good it's just they yeah, yeah. stretch credibility yeah, yeah. a little yeah. bit um others are are just kind of ludicrous or insanely specific yeah or just unnecessary mm-hmm. uh ineffectual in that they, they don't really there's a better way of doing what they would yeah, do yeah. or just <laughs> just really conspicuous <laughs> like you're drawing more attention to yourself that way kind of <laughs> and so those kind of criteria what i had in mind looking for what i consider to be some of the the worst of the gadgets. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I thought it would be easier to come up with a list than it was. Yeah, because you, you look at the gadgets and some of the ones that we've put under that category of it can only be used once or whatever, they may be really good gadgets to be used in that mm. one-time situation. Yes. Well, it's quite fun to imagine the situation that led to these gadgets being yeah. created as <laughs> well. Like whether they were commissioned... Uh, whether M had any say in what yeah. Q was up to down in the basement there, or whether Bond said, "You know what I could really do with next time is this," or I, I mean, that doesn't doesn't seem like that's the way because he always uh, seems to be unaware of what Q's got <laughs> planned for. But it, whether it's just like Q, you got free reign, do what you want. Uh, well, he did make a fishing boat with their missiles and for underwater <laughs> abilities yeah for himself for his retirement so uh, which is interesting if you hear the um the line that m says in live and let die i'm sure the overburdened british taxpayer would be fascinated to know how the special ordnance section disperses its funds the idea that <laughs> q's retirement boat is like taxpayer funded <laughs> But they exist in a kind of world slightly separate from ours, so yes. they get a free pass on that, I suppose. Um, all right, well, let's kick it off then. Uh, have you got an example of, of, of one of your yeah. bad gadgets? And maybe we'll take it in turns to, okay. to talk well, about yeah. some. So uh, I'm going to bring this one up. So this is from uh, A View to a Kill. Okay. Um, so he's at um, a little party, uh, James Bond, and <laughs> there's a meeting going on. With one of those windows where you can't really see through it, so it has like a, a darkened tint. Yeah, it's very reflective. Yeah, well. yeah, one of those reflective tints. Yeah, not sorry, not darkened tint. And um, so he puts on his fancy sunglasses, which allow him to remove the tint. Well, they're polarizing. Yeah, which is a which yeah. which, which happens. I've yeah. got polarizing lenses on yeah. my glasses. Yeah, so he he moves a little thing on his sunglasses, and that removes. The tint, so we can see what's going on in the meeting. Sounds perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Like I say, I've got polarizing lenses on my glasses. Well, that's 
Well, oh, Can well, you tell I've got polarising lenses? No, I can't tell, no. no. I think that's the way the difference is. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all well and good if you can be able to see in a meeting, but that means everybody who can see out of that window know that you're staring at a window looking into the meeting. Yes, if they had looked up, they'd have seen Bond just yeah. staring into the room. Yeah. yeah, so it just completely makes it, those glasses completely redundant. I see what you're saying, but I get the impression that Roger Moore could have styled that out if they had turned and looked, he'd have just kind of know, slowly yes. glanced around and, oh, I was looking for the bar. Uh, <laughs> you know? And uh, the idea of him using those glasses to spy on the meeting isn't something that I've ever thought of as being a bad idea. Um, but I will concede that they are perhaps some of the most conspicuous eyewear I've ever seen. Yeah. They don't look like any glasses I've ever seen <laughs> with those kind of weird adjustment yeah. notches along the side there. <laughs> What's quite telling about that is that when Scarpine arrives yeah. and says, Enjoying the party, Mr. Uh, St. John Smith, <laughs> the first thing Bond does is take his glasses off very quickly. <laughs> and, I, I didn't know actually noticed that, but yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's that's kind of evidence that even Bond knows that these are some suspicious-looking glasses. <laughs> but but Scarpine, he came over there because he saw him staring at a window. Oh yeah. So and even he was like, "Why is this guy staring at a window?" So already Bond Bond acts incredibly suspicious in that scene, regardless. Yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't really make any effort to make up a like a plausible excuse as to why he's there. He goes, mm-hmm. oh, immensely, uh, bye, yeah. I- I'm off. <laughs> he just goes, he just walks off. Cheerio. And you're left thinking, hmm, that was suspicious. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what would, how would you fix that gadget then? What would you, what would you use instead? That's a good question. I don't um, think there's anything inherently wrong with just looking in through a window. No, maybe make those glasses a bit smaller. I think that's a it. A bit more cooler looking. Um, maybe it's just how you direct the scene. Maybe have him not so conspicuously stood there. Maybe no, you could maybe just... you could be like mingling with other guests and whilst other people are talking, what he's just if like he'd, looking over. he'd found a guest to make small talk with and just actually been looking over their shoulder? Yeah, yeah. So it's not so much... Uh, the gadget so much as how they were used. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll have accept. I talked you yeah, around? Yeah. To you it? might have talked me out of this one. Yeah. <laughs> These glasses concede, are amazing. I will concede to you though that they are quite conspicuous, and that's why Bond, I think, takes them off quite quickly. Yes. I'll give it to you. Uh, shall I do one? Shall I give Go you for one? It. This is a sort of um, a kind of blink and you miss it one that's featured in Q's lab. Okay. This is from the Spy Love Me, and it's a. Camel saddle spike. Yeah, okay. That'll bring tears to your eyes. Exactly. Uh, so as they're walking through, I think, to the projector room or something, is mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could have gone to uh, examine the microfilm. Yeah, so as they're walking through, it's just one of the many gadgets that is being tested. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's a throwaway gag. Yes. But if you think about it, <laughs> it's one of the worst things <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> But, yes, that would be a pretty gruesome death if that was to happen to you. When I was a kid, I I don't know if it's the quality of the video or something, but I couldn't... I didn't know what it was. No, I didn't know. Because it wasn't was on same. a camel. Yeah. I thought that the, the, the bits that stuck up from it, that were obviously like the, the handles or the, the kind of knobs that yeah. they hold onto on the saddle, I kind of thought it was like an altar with candles on it. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, like, oh, if someone like is bowing down at the altar or something, it would stab him in the face. But then I was, oh no, it's a cam- camel saddle. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but even though it is is a gruesome death, essentially, it'd be a good gadget to dispose of a certain enemy. I hear what you're saying. Like as horrible it, and as it would be a deadly weapon. Yeah. But who do you hate so much that that's how you want to get rid of them? But I suppose if you're dealing with assassins and stuff like that, and you've got an opportunity to kill somebody, and you can remotely select this... But how do you get the saddle on the camel that they're riding? You mean, how did the blade even come up in the first place? No, Q Branch has built a camel saddle with a blade to kill whoever's riding. Yeah, okay, so you'll have to put it on on a certain camel and get the person you want to kill... 
onto that camel at some point in the mission. You said that was such a straight face. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get the person you want to kill onto a camel. So, yeah, so you, maybe I don't I don't know I don't know how often camels appear in Egypt or anything like that, but I imagine that's a quite a common mode of transport. So it's like having a car bomb, but sure. You uh, sure. you you're, you're putting it on a camel instead of a car. Right. But just, let's just say let's just say you have one camel spike saddle. Yeah. And you put it on a camel. Yes. Let's go as far as to say you then place someone to be the camel hirer man. Yeah. Who who will saddle up anyone who wants to ride a camel. Yeah. And make sure that your target gets on that camel. Yeah. What's to stop him just losing track of which one is the camel saddle, spike saddle? Someone else gets on it, and um, you're watching your enemy ride off on the camel, and you're like, <laughs> and you press the button. Is that a tea you laugh then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then you hear the most blood curdling scream from somewhere else because <laughs> you've misplaced your camel saddle. That would be careless. Yes. Um, or what you could do, I don't know, again, I don't know how camels work in Egypt, but you could maybe. Same way they work anywhere else. Okay. James. Well,. I guess the person you want to kill has his own camel, his personal camel. He probably has his own personal saddle then. Or maybe it's been made to mimic someone else's saddle. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, you could design the saddle based on the enemy's saddle. Ah, for, my uh, trusty personal, saddle. Yeah. I recognise you. Yeah. I'd know you like the back of my yeah. hand. <laughs> oh, my innards. <laughs> it still comes down to that question. Who do you hate that much that you are willing to kill them like that? Mm-hmm. That's true. But then again, it's in Q's lab. It's just a prototype. It may have gone through other designs. Maybe Q's just a bit of a sadist. Yeah, yeah. There's just ideas that Q's messing around with. And uh... Do you think he hides all these ideas when M comes down? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, Q? <laughs> oh, nothing, sir. <laughs> uh, so, not a bad gadget, as you say, but just one that raises a lot of questions for yeah. you. <laughs> okay. Have you got another one? I think I'm going to throw another one out here that's quite similar to the camel spike, yeah. just in terms of similar brutality okay. to the gadget. And that is the hand clamp from Diamonds Are Forever. Right. So this is a gadget that we actually see in action, yep. and we see an enemy fall victim to this. Yeah, so it's when Bond is um, held at frisked, gunpoint yeah. and he's being frisked by Blofeld's henchmen. Right. Yes, so this is in the pre-title sequence or pre-credit sequence. So what's your issue with this? I mean, from what we see in the film, it works perfectly. It does, but I, for me, the, the reason why this falls under the bad gadgets category is because Bond has to set this and put it in his pocket. And that is pretty dangerous place to put because I always put my hands in my pockets and this is a trap that is set to go off as soon as anyone puts their hand in that pocket yes so for me this is a bad gadget because it's so easy for Bond to accidentally put his hand in his own pocket and trap his own hand so what you're saying is that you don't like this gadget because you couldn't be trusted with it (laughs) (laughs) yes pretty much you would forget it was there yes it's a very simple and very plausible real gadget you could make yourself just would you want it in your own pocket um no would be the answer i see what you mean um and i will agree that it's perhaps a bit of a uh, reckless thing to carry about but it does its job in the film yeah it's just like there are so many other occasions where you can imagine it leading to disaster (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i think that's it the hand clamp is a useful gadget until they go wrong exactly so, what have you got next? Well, I'm going to have to say it, because it seems like we'd be remiss not to bring this up in a worse gadget okay. episode. Yeah. I'm going to have to bring up the crocodile from Octopussy. Okay. okay. And it's not just in the execution of it, but it's in the concept of it. Yeah. Like, the execution of it is like, well, that doesn't look like a real crocodile. <laughs> so, in that sense, it's quite conspicuous. <laughs> yeah. It kind of falls under the same category as the seagull on the head in Goldfinger, in that you'd be better off just swimming underwater. But you can't do that when there's other real-life crocodiles knocking around. Fair enough. Maybe even if it travelled underwater, that would be okay. Yeah. Because then from from the surface, you'd just see 
a, a dark silhouette of oh, there's a crocodile underwater. There. Yeah, yeah. But that's the other thing is that as he approaches the palace, you'd think the guards would take extra notice of a crocodile approaching. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's a harmless creature. They'd be like, oh yeah, you know, we get them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, sometimes they just wander around the palace. Yeah, and, let them in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get, get the food out for it. You would think that. If they caught sight of it out of the corner of their eye, they would notice it more than if it was just a man climbing up out of the water. <laughs> now, I know he opens his crocodile's mouth. Now, is he opening it, obviously, to let us, the audience, know, but is he opening it also because that's the only way he can see properly outside of the crocodile submarine? I don't know. I guess he can see, well, probably very little through the gaps in the teeth. Yeah. But it just raises too many questions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand. I, I've never had an issue with the crocodile submarine. I forgive Octopussy for quite a few of the disguises Bond wears in, um, I know you in, <laughs> in the film, but I'm sure we'll discuss that in more detail in an Octopussy uh, podcast. But um, in terms of when you just look at the practicality of the submarine, it, it probably deserves to, to rank under the, the worst uh, of Bond's equipment that he's used. Yeah, it falls under the worst gadget ever category for a couple of reasons. Uh, it certainly ticks the boxes of ludicrous, unnecessary, and conspicuous. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, for for that reason, it's on my list. Cool. Uh, next one. On to the next one for you. So uh, there's another one I want to bring up from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay. And that is the safe-cracking device that Bond uses. How dare you? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so... There's nothing wrong with a good old safe-cracking device. Yeah. Now, this is a particular safe-cracking device that also has a copying device installed in it as well, so it can copy any documents. Very useful gadget, because obviously you're going to get stuff out of the safe that you'll need to make copies yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. What's your argument here? So my argument here is how damn big this device is. So big that you need a crane to get it to the location. I kind of love it, though. I, I I can see why you'd like it because it's like oh well, well to be honest it's quite realistic. Uh, well, that's in, it in terms of of how that would work in real life. But then again, Bond has used a safe cracking device that's tiny in the film previous to it. Yeah, but that's not the only occasion where something like that happens. Where something happens in a previous film and you think like, why did they only have one and then they never had one again? They've got the technology, and it's like well because they are changing direction with the franchise and they're toning down those yeah I, I understand that but we, we're talking here about a gadget that's exactly the same except it's got an added fax machine uh, will, and it's it's 20 times the size of it i will admit that it probably could have been a little bit smaller yeah if I, it had fitted in a briefcase that would have worked for you yeah yeah that would be that would make more sense but later on in the film he used a little pocket camera to take pictures of yeah, uh, Blofeld's lab. Well, pocket cameras were very real as well. But yeah, but why couldn't he just take the pocket camera with a little mini safe cracking device, take the pictures of the documents instead of having to fax it through to a lot of people? Well, this was 1969, Jane. I mean, the camera wouldn't have taken as good a picture as the copier would, presumably. But he's, well, he's used the picture to take... The, the I don't know, <laughs> James. You're attacking one of my favourite films here. I'm just getting defensive. Uh... <laughs> I've never had a problem with it because I've admired the more realistic approach that the film takes. Mm -hmm. And I like that scene for a couple of reasons. And one of them is that it's Bond doing a job and it takes the time to show you him doing it. And Mm -hmm. it's not... It's almost... And I mean this in a good way, but it's almost boring. (laughs) But I I don't know how that's a good thing, but it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Bond just has to sit and wait, and I kind of like that. But the other reason I like it is because for for years I'd never seen this scene. Yeah. yeah, When I recorded this off the TV uh, when I was younger, the TV version didn't have this scene. The whole scene in, in Gumball's office was cut. Yeah for time, because that's what happens on TV, at least in the olden days. Um, TV execs would say, well, we've got a two-hour time slot, we need to fit this movie in, this movie is over two hours. Yeah. I'll cut that scene out. Yeah, ridiculous. Which is heartbreaking, as someone <laughs> who's made films before, the idea that someone would just arbitrarily decide that a scene doesn't matter to the plot. It had a funny consequence of doing that for me as a child, watching that film is the, the the guy that helps Bond in that scene, the the blonde, curly-haired 
uh, guy that sends the crane up. Yeah, yeah. He's in that scene, and then he appears later. He follows them up the hill to the yeah, helicopter. We were introduced to him in the scene with the safe. But without that very first scene of him helping Bond with the safe, I didn't know who he was. I didn't yeah. know whose side he was on. Because he always looks a bit shifty. The very first time we see him after that is it's, when Bond gets off the train. And he's following him. And he's lo- he looks over yeah. his newspaper or something, and yeah. he's looking really suspicious <laughs> and, and shifty. And you think, oh... and it, it was one of those weird moments where I later bought the the DVDs where that scene was intact. That I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> this explains so much." And also, it's this weird little moment of the film that I've seen a lot less than the rest of the film, yeah. and so I have a sort of soft spot for it whenever it comes up. And I like that little Playboy moment that he <laughs> uh, that he has where he looks through the magazine while the safe is doing its job. I don't have a problem with this. I, I will admit that it could probably be a bit smaller, but I like it. Well, if it needs a crane to deliver, then there's something going wrong. That's yeah, my, that's okay. My yeah, I'll give you that. Reasoning. The next one I've got is from a film I really like, mm-hmm. and it's a car. But it's not a car so much as it's one feature that the car includes. This is from Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay, yeah, okay. James Bond gets given a BMW 750iL, mm-hmm. which I used to not really think much of in terms of its look. I used to think it was a bit of a executive saloon. It yeah. wasn't particularly glamorous. No, but it blends in, really. Well, that's... That, um... I've come to now regard that as one of my favourite Bond cars mm. for the very reason that Bond is posing as a banker. Yeah. And it looks exactly like... A car a banker would drive. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's brilliant. I don't know if that was a conscious thought on their part or whether mm. that was just like that genuinely was BMW's most prestigious car at the time, but it suits the the, the cover that he's using very yeah. well, which is why I like it. And it's kitted out with all sorts of cool gadgets. It's got the uh, bulletproof glass, the tear gas defense systems and the remote control which yeah. is which is great fun and it dispenses tire puncturing tacks out of the the back end during the car chase and it features another little throwaway gadget that's used once yes do you know what i'm gonna say you're Under gonna the, say the the wire cutter that comes out of the bmw logo it has a bonnet badge buzzsaw yeah which is a bit of a tongue twister <laughs> under the bmw bonnet badge it rises up on a sort of pillar and there's a there's a tiny little blade or a couple of blades that spin at high speed and make a, a screaming sound, which which I used to love as a kid. I used yeah, to love yeah. that moment with the kind of sound. <laughs> um, but it's just the insanely specific nature of that gadget. Yeah. Like, he manages to use it in the only way that that gadget is of any use. Yeah, I, I, I can understand, because as soon as you mentioned Tomorrow Never Dies and that car, I knew exactly what you're talking about. And I was going to put it in my list, but then I thought, I, I do love that car just as much yeah. as you do. And um, the reason why I didn't put it in my list of bad gadgets was because, in my head, the car has like some sort of sensors that know exactly where the cable is, so it kind of predicts where the cable will be before it gets yeah. to it. Well, I'll admit that is possible. It could have a camera that... Yeah, that adjusts its height accordingly. Yeah. I still question how effective it would be in real life, travelling towards a steel cable with a little mini buzzsaw. Yeah. I still think you'd probably destroy your car before you cut through the cable, but <laughs> we have to trust the film that it works, uh, I suppose. Incredibly sharp uh, blades. Yeah. Um, would you say that wouldn't be on your list if the phone that he was using to control the car had like a heads-up display that shows like a distance and height of the cable before he got to it. To be honest, the main thing is not the fact that it stops at exactly the right point, because I'm willing right. to very easily explain that in my head yeah. as that it's got a camera that uh, that stops yeah. at the right height. Yeah, yeah, It's fine. My problem really is the likelihood of it being needed seems so slim and yet so very, very convenient. Mm. You know what would be interesting if one of these times we saw something happen in a film that then the next film prepares him for? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Say in Goldeneye, if he was driving along and he got his car kind of shredded by a steel cable 
Yeah, yeah. And the next time, it looks like it's going to happen again. Yeah, yeah. And Bond yeah. activates that device. That would be cool. I imagine that being a real kind of fan service payoff. Yeah. It would be like, <laughs> yes, Q! Well done! You stopped making camel saddles for one second and did something useful. <laughs> oh, you're talking... This is weirdly therapeutic. You're talking me around on some of these things that have bothered me for a while, but... Maybe you had been on a mission where that happened. Can you think of any other use for it other than the very specific way that he uses it in the film, though? Maybe there's a grand opening of um, of a car showroom and they've got one of those ribbons and it's like, well, I'll just show up with my car. This shop is now open. Are you talking about, like, during a high-speed chase? Uh, like no. in the kind of live and let die way where he, he drives a boat through a wedding he just has a car chase and drives through a grand opening <laughs> yes exactly that's how I imagine and now and the guy's about to cut it like the mayor is about to cut it with some giant scissors and then he just like <laughs> cuts the ribbon everyone applauds <laughs> yeah you've convinced me what if he was having like a fight with a baddie on the uh, on the outside and like hits oh, him yeah, against yeah, the, that'd be cool. the bonnet and then it just pops up? It's like chops that's another arteries. that's another thing I'd like to see on occasion is gadgets being used in a way that wasn't slightly intended. different to yeah. what they're intended. A little bit like the ejector seat in Die Another Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is actually quite a quite a cool moment. Yeah, quite yeah. an ingenious little. Flip on, okay, we've seen the ejector seat. We don't need to see it again, but you used it differently. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Um, for me, there's something slightly far-fetched about uh, how specific its purpose is and how conveniently set up I can understand. the utilisation yeah, yeah. of it is. But you've almost convinced me that it's great, and now <laughs> I want to watch that film. <laughs> Have you got another one? Yeah, I'm starting to... Um run out of the bad ones really I, I think I've mentioned my top three there as we're talking more and more I'm starting to realise I don't think we're going to be able to reach a conclusion about the worst ever because yeah. I came in pretty strong with a camel saddle spike and you almost convinced me <laughs> on that one so well um, we mentioned Die Another Day just a second ago so I might just mention one from that I'm actually going to mention one that you might not really consider as being a gadget, but it's the surfboard that he okay. uses um, at the start of the film. But the fact that that is used as a method of transport in the first place already rings alarm bells in my head. So Bond is dropped off, or does he swim from somewhere? Who knows? Um, and then he has to then use the surfboard to get onto the beach itself. Yeah, and then he opens up the surfboard, and there's a knife in there that he can then use as a little tracking beacon. See, I kind of like the idea of a little storage compartment within the surfboard. Yeah, I think it's cool because you wouldn't be able to carry all that much with you. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, um, I did question why they're surfing in the first place, and I can only presume they maybe did some kind of halo jump or something. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, normally you get towed out onto a wave on a jet ski or something yeah. like that, or you paddle out. It's not a method of transport across the ocean. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the fact that that's the best way of trying to get onto that beach. I kind of viewed that in the sense of maybe they've got, similar to, to Bond's approach to Crab Key, where he has to drop his mast as they approach because of the radar. Yeah. If yeah. they're low and they're inconspicuous... Yeah. Maybe getting a boat up to the shore would have been too conspicuous. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with like the disguise and the stealthy approach so much as the really surfing. Yeah. When does he have the time to practice, practice this? Or is he just inherently good at everything? I think that's what it is. I, I imagine it's also to, uh, to brace us for the second bout of surfing that he does later that's on in the film. That's a thought. Maybe that's a clever little bit of... As I say clever, there's nothing <laughs> clever about that film. Maybe that's a clever little bit of uh, groundwork to to explain why he's able to surf later. Yeah, yeah. I don't hate the surfing. Well, as I say, it's not my worst of I the worst. I think it's a bit it's unnecessary. Yeah, it's, it's the unnecessary element of that. But it is something we haven't seen in a Bond film before. Okay, you've won me over. <laughs> I take the surfboard over the crocodile any day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He could have come in like a in a shark costume. Yeah, he could have done. 
I think there are far worse things in that film than the surfboard at the start. <laughs> um, okay, I've got only a couple left on my list, and they're not necessarily the worst gadgets ever. They're just gadgets that I have a few questions about. Okay. In License to Kill, Q brings Bond uh, everything for a man on holiday. <laughs> A little uh, suitcase of gadgets that includes an uh, exploding alarm clock, um, toothpaste that's like plastic explosive that he uses later on. Yep. And then Pam takes out a Polaroid instant camera <laughs> to take their picture. In a suitcase that Q has already explained is full of things that look like one thing but do another. Yeah. Well, she's pretty stupid in this scene because uh, she should know better. Well, yeah, and that's partly the problem with the gadget is that it makes Pam look a bit stupid. And I like Pam in the rest of the film. Pam says, smile, boys, and tries to take their picture. Mm -hmm. So presumably all she does is press one button, the take picture button. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. That shoots a laser and takes an X-ray of them. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. Under what circumstances do you need those two things? Because they clearly don't work separately. <laughs> because she only presses one button. But in defence of the gadget, there could be another setting that goes from X-ray only, laser only, or both. And the switch might have been on both. I will agree. The button. But my answer to that would have been, there should have been a safety switch, and Q was negligent in leaving it on x-ray and laser. <laughs> yes, well, that's uh, that's Q's fault then, in yes. that case. So you, you, Pam may be uh, excused I will concede that stupidity. maybe maybe there is a setting that you can choose one or the other. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you clearly you can't see the x-ray through the viewfinder. You have to wait for it to develop, because yeah. otherwise Pam wouldn't have been surprised when it came out. Well, you know, that, that technology is then developed in the world is not enough, where you can see it live. Um, sure. Anyway. So, um, I mean, that kind of verges on science fiction there. I mean, it's, I mean, it not, not even verges on science fiction. That just leaps straight into sci-fi <laughs> at that point. The only other question is, you know, whether shooting x-rays out into the world is a particularly healthy thing to do. But it's only for a millisecond and then whoosh, developed. True. But I mean, whenever I've had an x-ray, the doctor sort of runs and hides behind a lead screen. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe Q's figured a way where it's not given off all sorts of radiation. Q's defied the laws of physics. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a little bit of a clunky gag. I don't think it quite is worth mm-hmm. the little pause that it takes to get there. Yeah, I yeah. think you could take that moment out completely and not lose anything. And Pam just seems a bit silly in that scene. Yeah. yeah. It's not the worst in the world. It quickly moves past it. Mm-hmm. But if you stop to think about it, it's a bit questionable. Okay. Uh, you got any I'll more? That. Uh, I'll mention one last one. This is a gadget that if I owned one, I'd think, oh, that's pretty cool. But in terms of its use in the film, I'd think there are better ways to uh, to use it. Yeah. And that is the ticker tape watch from <laughs> The Spy Who Loved Me. I almost included this on my list. Yeah. Um, mainly because, I mean, it's a digital watch. Yeah. He could have sent the message digitally and made the the watch. Yeah, I did have this it. thought because it clearly is intercepting a radio signal. Yep, and then converting that signal into a message that yeah, it yeah. then prints out mm-hmm. on the ticker tape, which I can only assume is is contained within the strap of yeah. the watch. So I think you are incredibly limited as to how much ticker tape. So is So you in might that have watch. a couple of rotations around the wrist in terms of how much paper you've got in yeah, there. Yeah, but like you say, you can have two or three messages tops. I'd have thought. Yeah. And then that's it. <laughs> I wonder if Q YouTube. just ever messes with Bond and just sends him little, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> Stop it, Q, you're wasting my watch paper. <laughs> sends him not-not jokes. You up, lol? <laughs> how does Bond reply to that? Can he send them back? Well, that's it. I mean, surely the best way to do it would be if it was sent digitally, you'd be able to send it digitally back. I guess then you're talking about inventing text messages. Yeah, you are, yeah. Which we're a bit ahead of our time with with that. I think it's more akin to a pager, mm, which yes. would then, you know, uh, in the eighties, I think they were probably at their height of popularity. And mm-hmm. a pager was just that; it was a receiver for messages. You couldn't send yeah. anything back with them, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we're dealing with spies and secrets and things, yeah, 
Surely sending it out on a little piece of ticker tape is you can't, you can't leave an evidence. What's he do with it? He has to then destroy that Burn it. ticker tape. Yeah. <laughs> well, it very fortunately happens to be next to a fire, but if he wasn't, I mean, everyone sees the message when it pops out. It strikes me that it's like, if they don't know where Bond is at the time when they send a message, they could land him in a bit of trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no different in a way to just ringing someone and giving their location away by a phone ringing. Yeah. But if he's infiltrated the villain's lair and he's posing as someone else and then suddenly... Yeah, well, well, he, the message just comes he, out of his wrist. He is sleeping with a Russian agent when he receives that message. You're lucky his hands yeah, weren't anywhere dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but that message could have said anything and uh, be in Russian hands. Better be in their hands than elsewhere. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I have a few more on my list, but I might just gloss over them quickly. I don't think there's much to be said about this. The gondola in Moonraker. Okay, yeah. Good one. Yeah, I agree. Should be up there. It's rubbish. Yeah. Or down there. I don't really even understand how it's even there. I mean, it must be a Q-branch gadget, but he gets in it as if it's just a a regular gondola that was waiting there for the public. (laughs) Yeah. And then suddenly it's got gadgets. And uh, why, why would you have the hovercraft function on, on that? And then that's it. Once it gets out on land and it starts travelling across the square, it's so conspicuous. It's not that quick. You I, could outrun it, and then what are you going to do? He, he doesn't go back in the water with it, does he? he just no, sort of... it kind of ends there after the double-taken pigeon. Yeah. It's just rubbish. Yeah, I don't need to really yeah, it is fight that argument no, too much. I, I agree with that one. I just want to address a couple of the more throwaway, blink-and-you-miss-it bits from Q's labs throughout the series. I haven't got that much to say about some of them, but there's a bit in GoldenEye where there's quite a few of Q's gadgets going off here and there. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a phone box that gets filled with an inflatable balloon, yeah. which, in theory, could be put to some use in a similar way to uh, the revolving sofa from The Living Daylights yeah, yeah. that traps whoever sits on it inside. But there's another bit in Goldeneye where there's just a guy at an office desk mm. and then he just <laughs> blasts through the air on an ejector seat. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what? But th- those sort of sequences is why I used to love the Q-Lab sequences, seeing the random things happening in the background. But why would you ever need to eject someone in an office? He pressed the wrong button. Well, that's it. So it's like, if you try and adjust a chair, you'll get ejected. Yeah. What good is that? Like, how many... <laughs> ejected to where? Just thrown across the room and crippled. <laughs> You'd get up with, like, a broken leg and just be like, what the hell, Q? <laughs> okay, I've got one to finish on. Okay. And it's from Dine of the Day. Okay, right. And it's not the invisible car. Right, okay. What gadget is the one that... It's you... the virtual reality simulator. Right, okay. <laughs> I was worried at, at the start because I thought you were going to say the Sonic Agitator. Thing, no, which I, really I, like. I was thinking about that. I, I really like that. I yeah, think I that's like that. almost... That's more of a classic Bond yeah, gadget. Yeah. From from You can imagine that in a uh, Timothy Dalton movie yeah, or, yeah. Or, or a Roger Moore movie, yeah. you know. I'm glad you didn't say that. Um, but yes, the VR glasses. Yes, and I I genuinely think it's brilliant in concept. And nowadays especially, the idea of training in virtual reality is not in any way laughable or far-fetched. No, not at all, no. The fact that it's so perfect is, I guess, just you have to give them that little extra leeway. So I don't have a problem with the fact that it looks really real and, wow, that's a really brilliant likeness of Judy Dench and all those characters. Mm. I think it's a brilliant way to train. I think it's almost done, like, when we see the kind of volume that he's um, training in. It's a nice empty space, which is kind of believable. I don't know yeah. quite how the motion tracking works, but maybe he's got uh, cameras or sensors on him. I'm willing to believe all of that and think, yeah, it's a, it's a cool little scene. I really like the idea of the misdirect of you know something going down at MI6. Yeah, because we're given the establishing shot of MI6, and you think he's back in his office... Then there's some sort of terrorist attack. And then it really makes sense that the fact that the the very first thing they would do when he comes back to work is to put him to train, put him through training again. Um, I love the idea of the misdirect. I think it could have been done slightly better. The whole misdirect of that scene is that it looks like there are terrorists at MI6 
and Bond overhears them and has to uh, intervene. Mm-hmm. And that's a great little setup, and I love that you're led to believe that it's real until it stops and, and yeah. Q walks in. The only thing I think that ruins that little reveal early is the fact that we see Money Penny dead. Yeah, and yeah, that takes it out of you. Because out of the- immediately then, at that point, and the fact that it's not really given any weight to that yeah. reveal, it's kind of like, is this real? <laughs> you immediately start yeah. thinking, this can't be real already. It does have a certain shock value to it. Mm. If you believed that at the time, you'd think, wow, that's a real ballsy move. Yeah. I love how he, you also got Robinson help. Yeah, it's great. Doing a- and I love the idea of it, I really do. And if they had left it at that, with how it pauses and John Cleese comes in, I'm not sure why he appears in the virtual reality. Like, if I had virtual reality goggles on, I wouldn't be able to see you if you walked up to me. No. But he somehow walks into that field of view. (laughs) Um, I think the design of the glasses is a little bit too slick and sci-fi and post-matrixy black sunglasses (laughs) kind of design. I'd have liked maybe a, a little bit more of a headset and maybe... A little bit more detail paid to the mechanics of how it works. Maybe if he had him on a kind of multi-directional treadmill or something like that. Yeah, yeah. With motion tracking cameras like they do <laughs> mocap filming on. I'd have loved those little details if they'd done that. If they'd left it there, I wouldn't have had any more complaints. It would not be on this list. The scene with Money Penny at the end, though. Mm. It, it, it pains me. <laughs> It leaves a real bad taste in the mouth, the last few scenes of that film. It's kind of an insult to Moneypenny's character. Mm-hmm. They throw away the integrity of a character for a joke. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Moneypenny isn't allowed to have sexual fantasies, but she's not been built up like that. Mm-hmm. In GoldenEye, she's been on a date with someone else when she's called into the office. Yeah. In Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough, she's matched Bond quip for quip and fended him off and deflected him and thrown his gifts in the bin and and dismissed his innuendos about, you know, phallic-shaped cigars and things like that. And in Die Another Day, she's become a kind of simpering, lustful... (laughs) <laughs> the sort to sneak into Q's lab and program this simulation to allow her to act on her sexual desires with Bond. I'm not even going to get into why that's even possible in a training simulation at all. No, I tell, tell you what, I will get into it. Why is it even possible in a training simulation that presumably Q programmed? Oh, clearly Q has uh, <laughs> his own uh, ideas of what he can do in that simulation. Money penny. And the fact that she, there's a joke about it's rather hard, isn't it? And no, <laughs> no, there's nothing hard about anything in it. It's virtual reality. And the implication that she can somehow be laid on a desk and feel things. It's, that's not how virtual reality works. Yeah. It's just when you undercut the integrity of a scene or an idea or a character for a crass sexual joke. Yeah. It leaves a bad taste in the mouth for me. Yeah. It's a sad way to end the series. It's a sad way to end Samantha Bond's role as the character. Mm. And it's kind of a sad undermining of what is a really clever idea yeah. that I really like. Yeah, But there wouldn't be a program that existed that allowed you to just have this romantic moment <laughs> with a simulation. And also it's like, come on, money penny, you're better than this. <laughs> That's all I've got, though, on my list. Um, don't know about you. Um, they'll probably, I'm sure, I'll watch the film and they'll be like, "Oh, why didn't I mention that in the uh, in the worst yes. sketches list?" So, I'm sure there's many that we've probably missed out on that we've not even thought about. If you're listening, leave a comment. Uh, what's your least favorite gadget of the series? And I'll try and think of a way of why it could have been used. <laughs> James or, or will try invented. and defend it to the end of the earth. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've reached any conclusion as to what the worst gadget ever is. But those are some of the... Just for how wound up it got me at the end of that conversation, I'm going to go with the virtual reality simulator, even though it breaks my own rules as to what makes a gadget a bad gadget, because if it was able to do that, then it would be a great gadget. Yeah. And they'd be flying off the shelf. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say the bowlers... 
from the boat. You didn't the, even yeah. mention the bolus. Well, the, the fact that you brought that up made me realise how... What's, what's your issue with the bolus? It's just the fact that you have to be not only incredibly expertly skilled at throwing those things, it has to go round somebody. Not necessarily. I mean, it'll explode wherever it lands. They just happen to use it around someone's neck. Okay, okay. So okay. you're going to stick with the bolus. Okay, no, I'll go with the glasses then. I almost... I, I still haven't been won over by... I almost went for the X-ray specs from uh, The World Is Not Enough. I love the X-ray specs. Well, that's it. If they were real, they'd be great. And as a kid, I thought it was so cool. Yeah. I look at them now and I go, that is the most late 90s thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't look great. But the virtual reality is not the worst gadget ever, but it's perhaps put to the worst use. The worst gadget is probably the crocodile. Okay. Okay. I like the crocodile. It's okay to like it. <laughs> what do you think about the crocodile? Anyway, let's play games with James. Let's go for it. Games with James. What have you got in store for me today? This is on topic. Okay. This is the guess the gadget by the sound game. Wow, this should be interesting. Right. I've got about twenty of these. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. This is gadget number one. Oh, oh. Do you want it again? Yeah, one more time. God, I should know this. <laughs> oh, one more thing. James, I need a uh, a correct and an incorrect sound from you. Let's have, an okay. in- let's have a correct sound. Excellent work. And That's let- actually meant to be Robert King, by the way. When he goes, excellent work. Oh, <laughs> that is obscure. And let's have a sound for when you get things wrong. Oh, Grow up, 007. <laughs> okay. Is it the escape pod from the Spy Love Me? Oh, grow up, 007. That is incorrect, James. Go on. It is the Aston Martin DB5 sat-nav from Goldfinger. Really? All right. Uh, well, I've got that, actually. No, okay. Okay. Number two. Okay, so I'm going to say this is Bond's Z8 getting sawn in half by the buzzsaw helicopter. Oh, grow up, 007. Oh, wow. I really thought you'd get all these right, and that is not it. What? (laughs) Have a listen again. Right, I'm I'm telling you now, that's the same audio used in this file, (laughs) and the world is not enough. That is not. Go on. That is, in fact, the Polaroid camera laser. Really? From License to Kill. That sounds like it's saw sound. You can hear it now, yeah, yeah. Ready for gadget number three? Come on, you can do this. Okay. What? And again? I have no idea. I'm just going to say it's the mini breather that he uses in Dying of the Day. Oh, grow up, 007. As incorrect, James. It is a torpedo from the Lotus Esprit. Yeah, Listen okay. again. Yep, okay. I'm getting the hang of this now. You can get this one. Number four. What? Go on, one more time. Have a think. I'm going to go with the water cannons from his Aston Martin in Thunderball. Oh, grow up, 007. That's incorrect, James. Oh, <laughs> this is the dart fan from Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, I'd never have got that. <laughs> Maybe this is more difficult yeah, than I it, thought. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> okay, you ready for this one? Yep. Gadget number five. Okay, I should be able to get this one. Just do it one more time. So it's some sort of grapple device. Go on. So it's not the grappling hook watch from The World Is Not Enough. I know that for certain. There's a chance it could be his belt buckle from Goldeneye. So I'm going to go with that. Oh, grow up, 007. You're very close. It's not, though. I'm oh. so sorry, James. I really want you to get a point. <laughs> it's not. It's his grappling hook gun from Diamonds Are Forever. Oh. Oh, all the grappling hooks that he could have used. You ready for gadget number six? Yep. Sounds like something that's hitting something. It's like a, a knife hitting a door. Is it... um? James Bond's wrist dart gun from Moonraker. Oh, grow up, 007. So close. Oh, no! 
<laughs> oh, that was a bit cruel because I kind of hoped you'd say that. It's Holly Goodhead's Deadly Diary. Oh, of course. Yeah, stupid diary. <laughs> oh, that was a cruel one, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the same sound effects. It's got to be. Gadget number seven. I feel like I can get this. Is it a view to a kill, the device he uses to find the body, um, the, the microchip that he's got? Excellent work. You are correct, James. Yes! Well done. I'm so, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yep, that's James Bond's tracking device from A View to a Kill. Okay. Okay, gadget number eight. Okay, go do it again. For me, this is sounding like there's bubbling going on. Yep. And there's also another noise in there, which I guess is also the noise of the gadget. I think maybe gadget is the wrong word here. Okay. I'm going to have to pass on this one. I really don't know. I could be here for quite a while otherwise. Oh, grow up 007. This is maybe a bit unfair because it's not really a gadget. It's not something he gets from Q. It's something Bond has in his own home. Oh, it's the uh, <laughs> it's the coffee or tea maker. It's in the there, espresso machine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> so, gadget number nine. Do it again. Okay, so this is sounding like some sort of flamethrower type device. Um. I'm going to have to say, is this the flamethrower part of the bagpipes that's in The World Is Not Enough? Excellent work. It is, correct. Yes. Well done. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so happy when you get them right now. <laughs> okay, number ten. That is the ticker tape from The Spiral of Me. Excellent work. Yes. Well that, done, James. Yeah, thank you. Number eleven. That's the shortest gadget sound I've ever heard. What does it sound like? It sounds like stapling a piece of paper. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was the climbing tools that Bond uses to climb uh, St. Cyril's Monastery. But I feel like it is something that's going into a rock of some sort. I'm guessing from that face that you've just pulled that, um, that I'm completely going in the wrong direction here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's your guess? Come on, James. I'm going to have to pass on this one. Oh dear. Grow up 007. I actually have a second version of this with what I think will be the reveal. Okay. Do you want to hear this? Go on. Ow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, I'd never have got that. But yeah, it's the the thing that implants into Bond's arm in Casino Royale. It is Bond's tracking device being implanted in Casino Royale. So not something being fired into rock. Yeah but into Daniel Craig's arm, which well, is the, the, the next hardest thing yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. in nature. <laughs> okay. Yep. Number 12. Hmm. It sounds like some sort of pressurised gas that's been released. I'm just going to take a wild guess here. Is it Bond's keying in Q's lab, letting off the, the gas? Excellent work. It is the stun gas key ring from The Living Daylights. Yeah! Well done, James. (laughs) Okay, number 13. You ready? I think you should be able to get this. I think I feel like I can. What does it sound like? What's what's Something opening. Right, okay. Um, Something electronic that's opening. I mean, my first instinct was Dino of the Day as soon as I heard it. It sounds like something that would happen on one of the cars from that. Is it the guns coming out of the Aston Martin in Down of the Day? Oh, grow up, 007. Incorrect, James. Yeah. However, it is Down of the Day. Yeah. And you're going to kick yourself because you were talking about it earlier. What? Oh, it's the uh, the surfboard. It's the surfboard oh, opening. right. It is something opening, so yeah. you're right in that respect. Okay, okay number 14. Okay, so this sounds like some sort of... I mean, this actually does sound like a grapple. But this feels like it's hitting somebody. There's also water playing in the background, so there's something happening near water. 
I was going to say it's the harpoon that he uses uh, in Thunderball. I think you got the point. Oh, grow up, 007. I'm sure you'd have got it eventually. It's from For Your Eyes Only. Stinging in the rain. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's the umbrella trap. The umbrella trap, yeah. Yeah, I would never have got that. It does sound like a grappling hook, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. This is gadget number 15. So I'm embarrassed if I get this wrong now. Go on. Is it the identograph from For Your Eyes Only? Oh, grow up, 007. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I feel like it's some sort of device. Yeah. Uh, Should I tell you what it is? Yeah, go on. It's the safe cracker from Moonraker. Oh, I was going to say some sort of uh, safe cracker. I was going to say the safe cracker from Unimagined uh, Secret Service. Okay. You will get this one. 100% you'll get this one. Here it is. How am I meant to get that? It's just what little ding noise. Come on. Is it uh, Bond's magnetic watch in Live and Let Die? Excellent work. Oh, well done. It's uh, Bond's watch attracting M's spoon, spoon yeah. and nothing else. Yes, not the rest of his cutlery. Or... <laughs> not uh, Miss Caruso's dress from inside the <laughs> wardrobe. I always think having that powerful a magnet strapped to your wrist, your wrist would get stuck to stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> More than you would attract stuff towards you. Uh, moving on. Sounds like someone's chewing on something, having a bit of a munch. Is it loud enough through your headphones? Or yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. I was just looking for excuses. Is there a reason that you're so bad at this? <laughs> no, it's been too low the entire time. It doesn't sound like a gadget at all. Any guesses? No, I can't get even a guess on this one. I have to pass. Oh, grow up, 007. It is from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and it is Bond's miniature camera. I would never have got that. Never mind, James. Next one? Yep. Oh, wait a second. I know this. Oh my god, why can't I not think of this? He's unlocking something and it unlocks. I should get this. I should be able to get this. I've been thinking that the whole way through, James. (laughs) Can you narrow it down to an actor? Or an era, perhaps? Do you think it's... It's the modern era. Mm, is it? Maybe I'm stuck thinking it's the modern era and it's not. I'll help you out. It's Roger Moore. Okay, that narrows it down a lot. It's the um, card that he uses to unlock a window in Stacey's house in a view to a kill. Excellent work. <sighs> well done, James. Okay, penultimate one. Yep. And I think you should get this one. That is the invisible car from Dying of the Day. Excellent work. It is the Aston Martin Vanish from Dying of the Day. Too easy? That was an easy one. I wanted you to get some points. (laughs) And the final one, James. Gadget number 20. So something's activated and it turns on. Uh, Do it again. almost like it's inflating I'm going to have to say it's the chair that Whispers sat on in Live and Let Die being it inflated oh, grow up 007 that's incorrect James oh. <laughs> I actually have an extended clip oh, God. would you like to hear it yeah It's the um, having problems keeping it up, Q. <laughs> the rope from uh, an octopusy in Q's lab. It is the climbing rope from Octopussy yeah. um, that ascends and then fails, leading us to that brilliant. I, I, I wouldn't have got it if you left the spring in and left it at that. I would have got it. Well, yeah, I know that's why I didn't. Yeah, but uh, there's no way I would have got it without. I like to make them challenging. Maybe a little bit too challenging. <laughs> I I lost count, but I don't. I don't think that was very high. Sorry, James. Did you have fun, though? I had fun. Uh, it really put my brain to the test there. Uh, that was Games with James. Games with James. 
And that wraps up the episode. Um, that was worst gadget ever. I'm not sure we reached a conclusion, but we had a nice discussion. Yeah, um, there's some uh, food for thought there. Food for thought. Leave your thoughts in the comments as to uh, your worst gadget ever. And uh, come back next time. In the meantime, you can contact us on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram at BondJamCast. And we're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash BondJam. We're on YouTube. Uh, just click the link in the description. And we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, search BondJamSimon and search in the podcast section. And stay tuned, and don't forget... To spread that jam. Spread that jam, guys. (laughs) See you next time. Ciao. Bye.